Hello, my name is Clayton Criswell. I live in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, uh, in the United States of America. I am 25 years old, and I am in, in a formal debate today with Mr. Paul Martin out of Australia, who is a Roman Catholic devout, and I'm very happy to be here today talking about the Marian dogmas of the Roman Catholic Church. They are dogmas because they must be believed by Roman Catholics to be true. That's what a dogma is. According to them and according to almost anybody. That's what it means. It means you have to believe it in order to be truly saved. Which is also why the Roman Catholic Church claims you cannot have salvation outside their church. Which we'll get into another debate with that one day. So, this is called the status of Mary, the mother of Jesus the Christ. I am going to explain to y'all today, using scripture and Roman Catholic official sources, meaning quotes from Roman apologists, Roman Catholic scholars, the Roman Catholic Encyclopedia, and quotes from the Pope himself. So, not one Protestant source necessary. Now, I'm going to be talking about the Immaculate Conception of Mary, the perpetual virginity of her, the bodily assumption of her, and the title bestowed upon her of being Mother of God. Now, before I begin, I want to stress, Mary deserves all the credit in the world for her role as the physical mother of Christ as a virgin. Um, the only objection I have is exalting Mary to a role of royalty in heaven and claiming she never had sexual intercourse during her lifetime. We'll see how that's biblically refuted. Where, she, where it's claimed that she had a bodily assumption into heaven, which biblically that can be refuted as well. Claiming that she holds all the roles that are for specifically Jesus Christ himself, simply because she is his mother, um, is biblically refuted. If you believe Jesus is God in the flesh, then you have to understand these roles cannot be owned by anyone other than God, who is Jesus Christ, which is the biggest kitchen sink in the world. It's the fact that Jesus is God. And we'll get into that in a minute. I want to start off with the Immaculate Conception. What is, it? What is an Immaculate Conception? Well, I figured the best way to know this is from a Roman Catholic source, which is one of my favorite pieces of literature ever, the Catholic Encyclopedia. In the Constitution and Falibus Deus of December the 8th, 1854, Pope Pius IX pronounced and defined that the Blessed Virgin Mary, in the first instance of her conception by a singular privilege and grace granted by God, in view of the merits of Jesus Christ, was preserved exempt from all stain of original sin. Now, that's the key part at the end, preserved exempt exempt from all stain of original sin. Now, what is original sin? 
let's be fair. Let's go with the definitions used by the Catholics themselves in the encyclopedia again. Original sin may be taken to mean, one, the sin that Adam committed, or two, a consequence of this first sin, the hereditary stain with which we are born on account of our origin or descent from Adam, the manifestation of the masterpiece of his redemption, and the perfect preservation of his virginal mother from original sin. All of those points are true except for the last one. Original sin is a real doctrine. It's the first imputation given to us by God fully. Um, we are fully sinners, and that's why him being fully God came in the flesh and bore sin because he's not sinful. He's not born with a sinful nature. Why? Because he's God. He didn't just set it up for certain people to be born with it and not be born with it. That's not the truth. Truth is, everyone is born under original sin except for Jesus himself. That's why only his sacrifice can count. Now, the doctrine of the Immaculate Conception claims that Mary is born without a sinful nature and has the Holy Spirit. She's without the condemnation of death for unrighteousness in the sight of God. She'd never committed mortal or venial sins during her earthly lifetime, which mortal and venial are Catholic terms for different sins, which is a lie in itself. All sins the same to God. Um, she never faced death. That's where the bodily assumption comes in. And because of this, she possesses co-eternally, being alive, uh, the specific roles that are given to God himself through Jesus in the New Testament, which include mediator, benefactor, redeemer, and helper. And, of course, advocate, which that goes along with mediator, and so does intercessor, which they'll claim all day long it don't, but, of course, it does. So Mary, the mother of Jesus, did not have the Holy Spirit at the time of her conception. This is an easy one. Luke 1, 34-35 confirms this. And Mary said to the angel, How would this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, and therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. That word will is very important meaning it has not happened yet for her. This, despite how you feel about it, that proves she was born with a sinful nature. Just like every other human God created. We are all born sinners. It was predetermined by God to be this way. Because why would we need a Savior? If there's nothing that we're helpless uh, to be saved from. You see, all sinners are meant to die once, but the majority of them will die twice. You can't praise God for Jesus being here to die for you and not praise Him for the sinful nature He bestowed upon you at your birth, which He died for. Uh, 
Um, an example of this is John the Baptist. According to Luke one fifteen, he was born with the Holy Spirit, yet he was physically beheaded in prison. What does this mean? Uh, this simply means that having the Holy Spirit at your birth does not keep you unstained from original sin. King Herod even exclaimed that Jesus was actually John the Baptist reincarnated since Jesus' fame was rising after he had already beheaded John the Baptist. Shows how much he knew, right? So, original sin results in death. The only reason why we die is because of sin. Um, which we'll cover in the bodily assumption later on, which is what the church must claim of her since physical death is the result of having that stain. So she cannot have a physical death if she was indeed free from a sinful nature. Now we're going to look even further in Luke 1 again. Luke 1, 38. She is a servant of the Lord, and let it be unto her according to the will of God. Wow, this verse really shows consent upon Mary's part uh, to be impregnated with Jesus. Um, this is called the Annunciation according to Catholics. And in their encyclopedia... It says, this verse claims it was the will of God, according to St. Thomas, that the redemption of mankind should depend upon the consent of the Virgin Mary. This does not mean that God in his plans was bound by the will of a creature and that man would not have been redeemed if Mary had not consented. It only means that the consent of Mary was foreseen from all eternity and therefore was received as essential into the design of God, which is completely contradictory to their views on predestination, which we will get into in a whole nother debate. But we will see very clearly in two different ways she did not give consent to something God has preordained, as this text says. So she used in the Greek the word doulos, which means slave. Literal or figurative, involuntary or voluntary, frequently, therefore in a qualified sense of subjection or subservancy. Bondman, servant, for further confirmation on this. The word is derived from the Greek as deo, which is a primary verb, to bind. Bind, being bonds, knit, tie, wind. Basically, she knew she was not in control of what Gabriel had told her. Can we confirm this? Yes, we can. How so? Go figure. Scripture. The angel Gabriel also claimed that the words he says will be fulfilled in their time in Luke one twenty. You see, Zechariah did not believe any of the words Gabriel had told him. And guess what happened to him? He was silenced until those things took place. Completely silenced. So, pretty safe bet. Um, no consent here. She clearly acknowledged that she was being used by God for a good purpose and decided to do it. Um, willfully. And, you know, we can play what if game all you want. But it don't work in your favor. Because, it, you know, Scripture is final. It's, it's set in place. And it's there for a reason. And Mary obeyed God. And, and Mary obeyed Christ to the T. 
So anywho, Luke one twenty. She called God her Savior in Luke one forty seven. Now anyone that calls God her Savior must have the criteria of needing a Savior. Who needs a Savior? One that's helpless to save themselves from something. What is that something? That something is original sin. Mary claimed God was her Savior, which means she had the stain of original sin, and she was subject to death because of this. She was born just like everyone else with this imputation at the start of their life. Alright, in Hebrews... 7, 26-28, Jesus is shown to be the only human to ever have an immaculate conception, being unstained, separate from sinners, and not having the need to give sacrifices daily. You see, these three things right here prove that he was immaculately accepted, but on top of that, he's the only one that's capable of having these titles. And we're going to get into this later about being separate from sinners, Roman Catholicism actually claims that she is separate from sinners, although Christ is numbered with the transgressors according to Scripture. Now, according to the Catholic Encyclopedia on this matter, and this is their own words, no direct or categorical or stringent proof of the dogma can be brought forward from Scripture. So nothing in Scripture can prove that Mary had an immaculate conception. All they can say is this, Mary needed the redeeming Savior to obtain this exemption and to be delivered from the universal necessity and debt of being subject to original sin. Another aspect of this doctrine is that Mary was redeemed at her conception and because of this, even considered by the Roman Catholic Church as a co-operator of the work of redemption of God's chosen people, a.k.a. the co-redemptrix. Now we'll get into the co-redemptions here. Because this is part of the Immaculate Conception. Now, according to the Catholic Encyclopedia again, by offering Christ in the sacrifice on the cross and by suffering in her heart the wounds he receives in his flesh, she actively shares in the redemptive work of her son at its most crucial moment. Now, First off, Mary did not offer Christ in the sacrifice on the cross. As we clearly see in Titus 2, 13-14, it says, Waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his possession who are zealous for good works. Um, I dare y'all to also see Galatians 1.4, Galatians 2.20, Ephesians 5.2, Ephesians 5.25, and 1 Timothy 2.6. She in no way possible, biblically, can feel the suffering Christ went through neither. According to Isaiah 53.11 alone, out of the anguish of his soul he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, the righteous one, my servant, Make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Christ's redemptive work is finished, meaning not only can Mary not be a part of this work, it's also not a continuous work for anyone to be a part of. 
Now, Mary also cannot be a part of this redemptive work because she of the many will be accounted righteous and her sinful nature was carried by Christ on the cross. Now, only God himself can take this suffering because he is the only one born with immaculate conception. And he is the only one that is God in the flesh. However, he is numbered with the transgressors as a man. Because he bore all sin. But he is in no danger of the second death in Revelation. As everyone else is in danger of it. That's the whole point of him coming. See, not only did he create all people, he perfected all humanity. How to be a perfect human. He showed that. Why? Because he created it. Okay? He is the only one alive eternally, and with his pardon, many will bypass the second death and be made righteous before entering the new heaven and new earth. To say Mary is not numbered with the transgressors proves that Roman Catholicism exalts Mary above Jesus, since Jesus is numbered with the transgressors. And, um, let's see here. Due to this, Roman Catholicism asserts that Mary is the Mediatrix along with Christ. Here's an official quote. Through her continual intercessions, Mary was seen as the dispensatrix who distributed and applied the graces of Christ. The claim is, since she is not dead, she provides continual intercession. However, we see several times in Scripture that Jesus is the only mediator, intercessor, confessor between God and man. Only God can be the bridge between two people which is God and man. God can only be the bridge between the two. Man alone cannot fulfill that role, which shows the supremacy behind Jesus being the Christ, who is God in the flesh. If you're the Christ, you're God in the flesh. According to Romans 8.34, Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised? Who is at the right hand of God? And who indeed is what? Interceding for us. Christ Jesus is the only eligible intercession between God and each of us. The one who condemns is the one who died, is the one who was raised from the dead, the one who is at the right hand of God, and the one who is interceding for us. Mary, nor any saint, is not eligible for this role based on the criteria given in that passage. Also see Hebrews 8, 6, 9, 15, Hebrews 12, 24, Galatians 3, 19 through 20, 1 Timothy 2, 5, and Romans 8, 26 through 27. Now an advocate, according to the Merriam-Webster Dictionary, is one who pleads the cause of another before a judicial court. Now, 1 John 2, 1-2 states, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Christ Jesus the righteous. 
notice that. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Propitiation means enough. He is sufficient. It's his work, not our work, which is totally contradictory to what Roman Catholicism teaches about a sacramental system, which means nothing in regards to obtaining something that has not even manifested in front of us yet, which is a whole nother debate. The issue biblically with the perpetual virginity of Mary is not her virginity before or during Christ's birth, but after Christ's birth. Was Mary a virgin immediately after Christ's birth? In order to properly answer this question, we must know what exactly is a virgin. In the Merriam-Webster Dictionary, which granted, not written by a Catholic, but I'm going with it, a virgin is a person who has not had sexual intercourse. So the birth of Christ itself did not take the virginity of Mary, as some people say. However, Mary did have sexual intercourse with Joseph after Jesus was born. Alright? Matthew one twenty four through 25 is clear on this. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and he took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Alright? It's a totally different debate on how many number of children Mary had given birth to after Jesus. But, it is confirmed explicitly through this verse alone that she did have sex. So therefore, she was not a virgin her whole life. Okay? So we're going to nip it in the bud there. You know, um, Joseph and Mary literally knew each other as people before this. They were already betrothed. Okay? I mean, excuse me, she was already betrothed means she was engaged okay the two were engaged why would you get engaged if you don't know anybody okay there's nothing in the scripture saying that they were uh, obligated to be engaged so why are we to believe that the word new has to do with sexual relations he did not have sex with mary until after she had given birth to christ jesus okay now We'll move to the bodily assumption. Now, the bodily assumption of Mary is explained, as quoted from the Roman Catholic Encyclopedia, by pro by la la la, la by promulgating the bull Manifestiums Deus, November the first, nineteen fifty. Pope Pius the twelfth declared infallibly. So this ex cathedra speaking that the assumption of the Blessed Virgin Mary was a dogma of the Catholic faith, meaning everyone must believe it. Likewise, the Second Vatican Council taught in the dogmatic constitution that the Immaculate Virgin, preserved free of all original sin, was taken up body and soul into heavenly glory when her earthly life was over and exalted by the Lord as Queen over all things. Um, 
I think it's safe to say this is an implicit dogma, meaning there's nothing in Scripture explicitly found about this. There's even an admission of this according to Roman Catholic apologists and the founder of Catholic Answers, stating no express scriptural proofs for the doctrine are available. Strictly, there is none. It was the Catholic Church that was commissioned by Christ to teach all nations and to teach them infallibly. The mere fact that the Church teaches the doctrine of the Assumption as something definitely true is a guarantee that it is true. Likewise, even authoritative Catholic theologian Ludwig Ott says direct and express scriptural proofs are not to be had, which is a total example of sola ecclesia. You know, Roman Catholics claim I'm sola scriptura, and I'm proud I am. Um, I claim you are sola ecclesia. Simply meaning, being sola scriptura, I subject all institutions, all churches, all Christians to Scripture. Whereas, Sola Ecclesia is subjecting the Word of God to the church. So anything that the church says is supposedly in Scripture. So they're adding and subtracting things from the scripture, but under the mask of apostolic succession, they are claiming that these are revelations from God, and that only through them will, will you know these things. So, I, I know this system's been around for a long time, but that's pretty much the definition of manipulation. Um... But anyway, we're going to move forward here. Because I only got so much time. Every person that was raised from the dead during Jesus' earthly lifetime did not assume into heaven. In fact, all the people that assumed into heaven did not die. Okay, God took them. Okay, John the Baptist didn't assume into heaven. He was born with the Holy Spirit. Lazarus... All the saints who raised up with Christ in Matthew 27, 52-53 did not assume into heaven. They all raised from the dead in their normal physical bodies where they could die again. Now does Catholicism claim that Mary never died an earthly death? Because according to the Immaculate Conception, she should not have died at all. She should have just ascended into heaven just like Jesus did at any given time. But here's the problem. According to the Roman Catholic Encyclopedia, they say, regarding the day, the year, and the manner of Our Lady's death, get it? Death. Nothing certain is known. The earliest known literary reference to the assumption is found in the Greek work De Opito as Domine, Catholic faith, however, has always derived our knowledge of the mystery from apostolic tradition. So this is a revelation from God, supposedly. I think right here, 
I mean, 403 A.D. was the first time anyone was ever asked about this by Eponius. And he acknowledged he knew nothing definite about it. So the very first time this was ever mentioned was technically in the 5th century, and he even claimed he knew nothing definite about it. So the dates assigned for it vary between 3 and 15 years after Christ's ascension. That's a problem in itself. You know, you, first off, assigning dates to anything like this without proof is damnable. But on top of that, you're going to give just this broad um, probability of years after Christ's ascension. 3 and 15? Like, come on now. Two cities claim to be the place of her departure, which is Jerusalem and Ephesus. Common consent favors Jerusalem, where her tomb is shown, but some argue in favor of Ephesus. The first six centuries did not know of the tomb of Mary at Jerusalem. So, for literally 600 years after the church had started, they did not even know the existence of the tomb of Mary in Jerusalem. Now, here, here's a bunch of problems here. If Mary was free of original sin, she should not have faced an earthly death. You screwed up there, okay? Uh, Jesus did, however. He was free of original sin. And yes, he died an earthly death, but by him being God, he was able to rise from the dead on his own predestinated will. And here's another fact, too. He was the only one to show his transfiguration before his earthly death in Scripture. Showing already he had the reins on death before he had ever died. He didn't really need to die to show that. But he did have to do it to show it to us because we are subject to him. We do not have his thoughts. We don't understand everything like he does. That is why he did what he did, because he loves us so much. Okay, he died to show you that he lives forever. He lived the life that we never could, so that way we'll die to this one and live with him forever. Okay. Uh, the argument Catholics love to use when there's no direct proof for any of their doctrines, let alone this one, is called the argument of convenience. God could do something, because he can do all things, and it's fitting that he should do it, so therefore he did do it. That, that's exactly what's going on here in regards to these Marian dogmas. No proof at all, but... Since God can do all things, we're just going to say He did it. And since we're the church, you better believe us or you're not going to be saved. That's blasphemy. There, there's nothing true about that at all. And there's nothing in Scripture showing that the church is superior to the Word of God. You know, I was listening to Paul Martin um, the other day 
about the church is the pillar. Um, and foundation. But you see the pillar holds up the word. The church is subject to the word. The word's not subject to the church. And, you know, as much as I wish they were around today to tell us this, because it'd be the easiest way to confirm everything that I'm saying right now, um, I have to use scripture, because that's all I have at the moment, besides their own sources. So anyway... Um, it's a dangerous argument to make, especially when it's not mentioned at all until the late 4th century. Now, the Mother of God title is the accumulation of the previous dogmas that I have presented to you today. Did Mary give birth to Jesus Christ? Yes. Since Jesus is God in a human body, did Mary give birth to God? No. Here's why this is so dangerous, dangerously deceptive. First, salvation is the key factor here. If salvation comes from Christ, then it's necessary for salvation that a Catholic goes through Mary to get to Christ. And since Christ is God, she is the necessary mediator between God, Christ, and man. We read, Dear brothers and sisters, let us trust in the one who asked the servant of God, having been assumed into heaven. She has not abandoned her mission of intercession and salvation. So literally in Moralis Cultus number 18 by Pope Paul VI in 1974, Mary is the intercessor between God and man and the one that provides salvation. That is her mission, according to him. And this is recent, in comparison to their so-called 2,000-year reign. According to the Roman Catholic Encyclopedia, the title was approved by the Council of Ephesus in 431 AD. This was meant to stress the unity of Jesus' human and divine nature. Okay, so... You know, we know that God is fully God and fully man. Well, they were debating this at the Council of Ephesus. Um, There's this guy named Nestorus who taught the disunity between Jesus' divine and human nature. However, that council's insistence on Mary being mother of God was not the same as what we see in modern Roman Catholicism today. But they basically had to say that just so that um, they could show that God was fully man and fully God through Jesus Christ. So, in a sense, yes, but she's not the mother of God. Uh, many modern Catholics think that by Mary being mother of God, she has some kind of overarching over God. Which is true. Um, this is seen in Catholic paintings and literature where Mary is appealed as the one who appeases God. Who's the one who appeases God? It would be Jesus Christ. And who persuades God? It would be Jesus Christ. Okay? But they use her because she's a mother figure. 
the bottom line is a mortal cannot give birth to God, nor does God have a mother or father. God does not have a birth or a beginning and ending. He is totally outside of time. All humans are subject to time. That's why Mary was ever approached in the first place. Just like any of us coming to Christ. It was all planned. Roman Catholicism claims these aspects they bestow upon her do not claim that she's divine, but honorable. However, a creation cannot give birth to the Creator. It's impossible. Nowhere in Scripture does it show any of these bestowments upon Mary, which has already been confirmed by Roman Catholic scholars, apologists, and the encyclopedia and popes. These implicit dogmas, which are required to be believed by every Roman Catholic for the sake of salvation, are explicitly contradicted by the text we are given in Scripture. So, you know, sometimes you'll hear from Roman Catholic, Oh, well, you know, if it was in there, you'd believe it. Well, no. Because the things that are in there contradict the things you claim should be in there. And the claim and the uh, things you claim that are in there, but hidden, they're contradicted. It'd be different if there was nothing for me to grab to contradict it with Scripture. Problem is, all Scripture does is contradict what you believe. Um, this is called deception. Uh, it's purposeful lying for personal gain. That's what's going on here. You have people calling themselves apostles, claiming they still receive revelations from God, which the two things are not true. Okay? The Holy Spirit is the only one that gives revelations. And on top of that, all the apostles are dead. Now, granted, they will be alive one day in heaven, if not already, but... There's no more apostles on this earth. There never has been. And none of them are Roman Catholic. I'm, I'm sorry. That's just the truth about it. And sometimes the truth hurts. Truth don't want to be heard by everybody. Now, I want to go back to one key point here um, before I go. Because I forgot to mention a certain scripture. Now, we we were talking earlier. Jesus was numbered with the transgressors. Um, since he bore all of our iniquities. Um, so, even though he did not commit sin, nor did he know of sin, he bore sin. And, according to the list of transgressors, um, yeah, he, he was a transgressor. But only because he bore our iniquities. This confirmed in Isaiah 53, 12. Where basically it says right here in the English Standard Version, 
Uh, therefore I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death, and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many, and makes intercession for the transgressors. Christ died for sinners. Uh, this verse is actually confirmed in Mark fifteen twenty-eight. And it's also confirmed in Luke twenty-two thirty-seven and Second Corinthians five twenty-one. So I urge everyone, everyone, listen to this. Here, here's the question that I have, especially for atheists who may be listening to this. For any reason whatsoever. Why would someone lie about something if it's not true in the first place? Like, why am I here today? Am I trying to destroy a religion? No. I'm simply trying to stand up for the truth. You know, God has sent delusion upon this earth through false religion and you may be like well why would God do that because of people standing up for the truth which is in his word um, thy word is truth for a reason and again we'll get into another debate about about how we got the word of God but the thing I need people to understand is every false religion claims that salvation is already to be had uh, salvation has not occurred yet we know about salvation we know what it is. And we may even know what we're being saved from. But from that, we just say, Yep, um, I'm saved. Goodbye. Not even thinking about what that means. Okay, the, our helplessness has not been shown yet. We have not been shown by God on Judgment Day that there's a lake of fire sitting right there waiting for us. And that he must be the one to purge us right there at that moment to wash us clean with his blood. All of our works are going in that fire and all of us are suffering loss. Not, none of us are going to be found uh, not guilty. You know, the, the funny thing is, in God's court, when you walk in the room... You're guilty before proven innocent. And how are you proven innocent? By being pardoned. By giving, by, by being given the gift of righteousness from Christ Jesus, which will keep you from evil and you will be able to enter the kingdom of heaven. And I'd just like to say thank you 
to uh, Paul Martin uh, for letting me on. I have a lot more, but we have agreed upon a time limit. And, um, yeah, um, can't wait for the rebuttal. Um, everyone have a blessed day, and, yeah, God bless. Bye-bye.